Hey friends, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor here at Transformation Church. I want to personally welcome you to our podcast. At TC, we exist to see people transformed from who they are to who God wants them to be. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, I hope today's message inspires you to take one step closer to Christ. Man, we are pumped about today. We're going to jump straight into it. What do I do with this part four? Pastor Dan brought the house down last week. And so if you haven't got a chance to check that out, man, make sure you go. If you're online, make sure you go look at that. If you're in the room, make sure you go watch it online um, because he dealt with forgiveness. How many of y'all know we all got somebody in our life? Come on. Okay. All right. Some of us are honest today. Rest of y'all lying. I remember growing up fishing with my dad. One thing I remember about growing up fishing with my dad is how much I don't like fishing. So I really enjoy catching, but I don't care much for fishing. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So like some of y'all are those cats that like, you'll go out there seven hours just throwing stuff in the water. Bringing nothing back but throwing stuff in the water. If I wanted to give stuff away, I'd you know, give stuff away. I, don't, I, I want to catch stuff when I go fishing. But here's one thing I realized in addition to knowing that I don't care much for fishing. The other thing I realized is you don't clean a fish before you catch it. And uh, today I want to talk to us as a church. And if you're new with us today, I want you to hear one of two things. Either A, I want you to hear some encouragement on the fact that if you don't have it all together just yet, you're in a good space to not have it all together. Uh, And secondly, if you're here today and you're part of TC and you've been part of TC, I want this to be a healthy reminder that you don't have it all together. So let's not expect everyone else to have it all together. And what I believe is what the church, what, what the world needs is Christians that really believe in what they're talking about. But more importantly, what the world really needs is Christians that have an understanding of the true value of the grace and mercy of Jesus and what he's done in our lives. And so I'm going I'm to teach a little bit today. I'm going to probably preach a little bit today because it's in my bones. Um, it's genetic. I got it from my dad. I don't have to tell you. So, uh, so we're probably going to do a little bit of both about this idea of loving my blank neighbor. And I want you to insert whatever you need to into that blank. I want you to think about saying, loving my crazy neighbor. Loving my promiscuous neighbor. Loving my gay neighbor. Loving my angry neighbor. Loving my addicted neighbor. Loving my atheist neighbor. Loving my agnostic neighbor. Loving my non-believing neighbor. Loving my non-conforming neighbor. Loving my anti-biblical neighbor. And at the end of the day, Loving my lost neighbor. Because what I want to talk to you about today is how we can love our neighbors well. Because how many guys know what the world needs to see is a Christian church living out Christianity, but real Christianity, not some religious form that they talk about? How many guys are thankful for grace in your life? Come on, y'all started out on fire. And then I said all that, y'all was like, I don't think, I don't think, no, no, I don't think so. Today I want to talk to you about what it means because I believe two things need to happen for Christians, all right? These aren't in your notes, but I'm giving to you for free anyways. I believe two things need to happen for Christians. First of all, I think we really need to start buying what we're selling. Like we really need to start believing this truth that we say we confess. Like when you wear the label of Christianity, it means something. And so we really need to start buying what we're selling. Rather than trying to convince the world what they need to have, we need to make sure we believe in what we have. See, is it the power of God unto salvation? 
to save us from our sins? Is, is it really the truth that sets us free and true freedom is rooted in it? Is it really the gospel that we lay our lives down for? Because the, it's easy to buy into the grace of the gospel, but it's f- easy to forget about the pursuit of the gospel, which is, thank you, Lord, for grace. That's the easy part. And how I give you my life, that's the hard part. But those are the two things that we need to do. And so one of the things, I'm going to give you a few big words, and you can write them down or you can not write them down. You can try to remember, but you won't. Uh, what I believe the church needs to get away from are Christians in general, not the, our church, but the church. Christian, Christianity, particularly in America, we need to get away from moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Now that I've said those words and you're Googling them on your phone, what? Well, <laughs> We need to get away from the idea that Christianity is be good and you'll get there. And we need to start coming back to the gospel that says go to the only one that is good and he can get you there. And there's some belief systems behind this. You see, uh, Lynn Munzel says this, people see themselves as Christians, but many are actually living out a watered down counterfeit worldview that looks more like the culture around them than the biblical Christianity they profess. Now, I know that's heavy, but here's what it really looks like. He's not referring to, let me help you out for a second. He's not referring to, when he's talking about a watered down counterfeit worldview, he's not talking about Christians that don't act like Christians. He's, not, he's talking about Christians that claim Christianity, but don't even know what it means. What he's talking about is people not that sin, and so we should try not to sin. What he's actually talking about is people that have taken on a mindset that if I don't sin, I don't need Jesus anymore. I can be good enough to get there on my own. That's what he's talking about. And so I wanted to give you what is the basic beliefs of moralistic therapeutic deism. Now, this isn't my heart, the whole sermon, but it's part of it, all right? So just let's go there together. And I want you to assess in yourself if you've bought into any of these ideas about your Christianity. And if you have, we're going to help try to fix some of them today. Because before, before we can love our neighbors well, we got to know what we believe well. So belief in a God who remains distant from people's lives, the big man on the chair, right? Next, that people are supposed to be good to each other, i.e. moral, and that is the sign of righteousness, that the, universe's per, uh, the universal purpose of life is being happy and feeling good about oneself. Next, that there are no absolute moral truths. Next, God allows good people into heaven. And lastly, God places very limited demands on people. And if any of those things fit into your framework of Christianity, I want to encourage you and invite you into the space where you revisit your faith in a way that is actually biblical and less worldview or less worldly, right? So here's a question that I have for you. Why would our lost neighbors want a Christianity that they see so many Christians getting wrong? Why would our lost neighbors want a Christianity that they see so many Christians getting wrong? How many of y'all been through the mall before lately, or just lately, or in general? Been through the mall, walked through the mall, five of you, the rest of you are lying. Okay, walked through the mall before, raise your hand one good time. At home, you're raising your hand, perfect. Okay, how many of you have had someone try to sell you a curling iron before or something? Right? I'm like, brother. You know, then the lady comes around with a flat iron. I'm like, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Right? 
I think they've learned now. What I've figured out is if you look angry enough and you're walking fast enough, they're like, mm, not that one. I think the beard helps too. So beard gang, you know what I'm talking about? Like they're like, ooh, nah, no, he's got a beard. Okay, so, but how many of you guys have ever tried, had someone try to sell you something they didn't believe in? They're like, you really need this? And I'm like, why? And they're like, man, I don't really know. I get paid $12 an hour to stand here. So if you buy it, it doesn't really matter to me, right? We've all seen somebody try to sell us something they didn't believe in. And I fear that our neighbors feel that way about our faith. We're trying to tell them, you really need God because you need to be better. But we're really not inviting them to come to God who can make them better. We're trying to convince them to act right, but we're not convincing them to come to God who can make them right. And I believe that if we could do that, we could change some things. And so Galatians uh, 2, 20 through 21 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives inside of me. So I no longer live. So it's no longer about me. Now it's about Jesus who lives inside of me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's easy to give your life back to Jesus when you know he gave you his. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, in other words, if righteousness could be gained by doing everything right, then Christ would have died for nothing. So what is he saying? He's saying, you can't get it all right. How many of y'all know you mess it up daily? Which means we, myself included, are constantly disqualified from hitting the mark. Be encouraged in Jesus' name, okay? So like, so what do we have to do? We have to come to Jesus and let him change us. That's important that we understand because it's going to be what we also have to preach to our neighbors. So first, we need to start buying what we're selling. Secondly, we need to start letting it change us so it can change how we see, love, and interact with the world. So we need to start letting what God has done in us change us so that we can start changing how we see, love, and interact with the world, right? How many of you guys know the world doesn't need a powerless church? Wow, six of us. So how many of you guys know the world doesn't need a powerless church? It needs an active church that believes, that's bought into what they're saying. So hear me, we need, the world doesn't need a church that has a political preference. The world doesn't need a church that makes room for social injustice to be tolerated. The world doesn't need a church that identifies more with any worldly identity than they do with their heavenly identity. And the world doesn't need a church that secludes itself from lost people because they're afraid they might impact us more than we impact them. What the world needs is a church that believes what it's got. We're the only power of God unto salvation. And we need to make sure that we are walking this out for the world. So we need some honest assessments on whether or not we really believe what we say we believe. And I think that we can do this. Because here's the deal. We, we're, many of us have at least believed in a context, a religious context, where we would come to people who are lost trying to convince them to be better. And I am going to reference in particular a couple groups of people or a couple things that exist in people's lives for the sake of clarity today. But we would go to 
our brothers and sisters or our friends who have same-sex attraction or identify as gay. And we would try to convince them to stop doing something, but we would not introduce them to a gospel that could actually help them. Meanwhile, we don't want anyone looking in our closet at what we've got hiding. Like, let me help you out for a second. Before you go to the person and try to convince them to be better, how are you stewarding your money, bro? Because the reality is, people will say to us all the time, Pastor, I, 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 and I'm, this isn't me harping on money, this is me using it as an example, I can't afford to tithe. Which I think is always funny because the only people that can afford to tithe, tithe. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. The only people that can afford it are the ones that do. So if you can't afford it, start, because then you could afford it, because God's blessing will hold you through the times you can't afford it. So let me just help. that Free nugget, okay? And that's not me trying to harp on money. Listen, I don't even know who you, I don't know who gives what in this church. Pastor Justin will tell you, I can't see, I can't see what anybody gives. So if you ever walk up to me and you're like, Pastor, do you know how much I give here? I'll be like, no. But we made it before you, and we'll make it after you. Like, all right, like, it is what it is. Love you. But here's the reality, right? How are you stewarding your money? Because here's, here, here's what we run into. Are you ready? The problem many people have a hard time stewarding their money is because rather than indulging in sexual sin, they indulge in financial sin. I'm going to hold back from God what's his so I can keep what I want from God. Now, if you're doing it with your money or if you're doing it with your sexual preference, what's the real difference here? You still idolize something over God's demands. So why is it we have a, no problem identifying that as a problem, but when someone looks at us, we're like, hey, ho, listen, I don't know. You see, so what we run into is it's a dopamine problem, and if you know anything about the brain or human anatomy, they'll tell you that dopamine is the chemical that gets released for pleasure, right? And so some people's dopamine gets released at a great uh, measure when they are uh, indulging in anything that their flesh desires. That's easy to understand, right? One of the biggest reasons why there are drugs on the market that are not addictive in nature. They're not addicted to the chemical. They're addicted to the habit that is released in their brain when they indulge in the chemical. Okay? So I'm just trying to help you for a second. So some people's dopamine release may not come from pills. It may not come from what they smoke. It may not come from what they put in their arm. And it may not come from who they get in bed with. It may come from what they buy at 2 a.m. on the app that showed up on Facebook and showed you something you were thinking about. And now you've overspent yourself and you can't afford to be an impact anywhere in the world because you've overspent yourself in your own finances. Same problem, different manifestation. But we would look at others and say, you need to get it together. But we don't want anyone looking at us and saying, hey, let's talk about that. It's like, how about let's not? Right? The problem is some things are a little easier to be seen than others. So what if we changed ourselves and became fully obedient followers of Jesus? Like, look at your neighbor and say, fully obedient. What if we looked at ourselves and became fully obedient followers of Jesus, ones that are known for repentance, love, grace, and truth? That could change a world. And so I want to give you some help today on understanding what it looks like as a Christian loving my blank neighbor well. All right? Loving my blank neighbor. So I'm just going to give you some helpful tips. Is that okay today? All right, number one. 
we need to know that until our neighbors are saved, they won't act like it. Until our neighbors are saved, they won't act like it, right? Half the time, we barely do. How many of y'all have ever showed up before, did something, said something, and not two seconds afterwards, the Holy Spirit hit you with a, hey, bro, that's not how we act? Or ma'am, sorry, ladies. That's not how we act. And you're sitting there like, God, I'm going to start all over tomorrow because it's like a diet. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to pick it back up today. So, like, <laughs> start all over tomorrow, right? And so sometimes it's hard for us. And rather than attempting to change our behavior, what we've invited many people to do is uh, we've tried to convince them to change their behavior rather than inviting them into our world where they can listen, watch, observe, And see a life that is following God and the joy, the peace, and the truth, the life that is in it. Yeah, that's what the world needs. Listen, they don't need more of our preferences. They need more of what a life looks like when Jesus has a hold of it. And so, man, we should give them that window. So what do we do? Well, we are to love those far from God as people made in God's image with the gospel on display with both words and actions. How many guys have ever used the phrase, always preach the gospel and when necessary use words? Anybody ever heard that before? It's always necessary to use words. No one's going to look at you, skip out on a drink, or not go do something you used to do and be like, ah, that's peculiar, I think I'll have God. Like that's not, that does, it doesn't work that way. At some point it's necessary to talk about the one who changed you. Right? And so we should love them and invite them into the space. Listen, one of the things I think we can do well is to avoid this idea that, like, it's not, hey, man, like, we all have problems, so it's no big deal if you have problems. Because that's many of our postures when it comes to lost people. Like, hey, it's no big deal. You have a problem. We have a problem. I have a problem. Everybody's got problems. So it's no big deal if you have problems. I think more of what it is is, hey, man, we do all have problems, but your attempt to try to find out who you are and even get to an eternity with God is never going to be because you beat your problems. It's going to be because you went to the one that's bigger than your problems. And I do think we have to hone our message because our message is necessary to reaching the lost world. We do have to have the right words and we do have to use them because being a Christian secluded to our closet is doing the world no good. One thing that I think we've seen over history is that when persecution hits the church, at least it puts them in the street. So when we're all like, persecution's coming for us, it's like, well, not really yet in America, but, you know, whatever. But even if it were, at least it would put the Christians in the street. Like, now you got, now you got to live it out. And I think that would be a challenge to many of us. Romans 10, 13 through 15, for some of you that's like, ooh, I don't know about that. This is what it says about people that take the gospel to a lost and hurting world. It says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of of those who bring good news. That doesn't mean you have pretty feet. Just for the record, okay, some of y'all, you know, we're, like we're in sandal season right now, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, okay, whatever. So, but one of us, what some of us can learn is that we, we would be better to herald the gospel, 
Not tell people they have to have it, but tell people how good it was when we have it. Like, how many guys have ever eaten at a pizza joint where you wanted everyone else to know about it? Like, how many, how many of you have ever recommended a restaurant before? I know I have. I got a whole Instagram dedicated to it, so whatever. Right? You go, man, this pizza is fire. I'm not saying, like, you're an idiot if you don't have this pizza. How could you not have this pizza? Like, you should be ashamed of yourself. I don't, it's not, that's not what I do. When you have something good, what do you do? It was delicious. That garlic? Fresh cheese? Pepperoni? Come on, the right amount of marinara sauce on that dough they put in was, come on, y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all know what I'm talking about? All y'all eating pizza for lunch. You're welcome. Did I beat you up about not having the pizza? Or did I just tell you how good it was for me? Come on. You don't have to beat up people that are far from God. Just tell them how good it is for you. Like, tell them about the beauty behind it. Second thing, we need to know that God beginning the work in their hearts doesn't mean he's completed it yet. So it won't look like it. Like, how many of y'all know God still got us on a journey? Myself included, right? So, like, God still got us on a journey. Some of us need to learn to be patient with people as God was and still is with us. Like, some of you need to learn to be as patient with people as God is patient with you. Like, thank God God doesn't hold us to the standard we try to hold people to sometimes. Because we would miss the boat every time. But, like, he doesn't do that, right? I want to look at two things. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. I want to I look at a passage here. And Paul is talking. And when Paul is talking, he mentions some very specific sins. Now, this is important not because we want to, well, I'll just, we'll go in. I'm, I want to show you something in this text, all right? He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous, say unrighteous, will not inherit the kingdom of God? So he says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor those habitually drunk, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And the church has latched onto that text and preached it pretty dogmatically. Now, I'm not saying it shouldn't be preached. What I'm saying is we should preach it in context. And so this is what he means by that. First of all, I want to give you two things just out of this text. Number one, I want to give you this idea that we need to disassociate ourselves with the idea of orientation. So speaking specifically just a second for those in the the, the gay, lesbian community, those that are same-sex attracted, I want to I want us to do them a favor, or if you're here today and you're a part of that, I want us to do you a favor for a second. And I want to take away the idea of orientation for a moment. Because Genesis 1 says we're made in God's image. Then Genesis 3 says that we're all sinners. And then Romans 1 says that we're all slaves to sin. And whatever the idea of going against God's word looks like for any of us, it exists in all of us. Right? So here's what I want to get to. We need to start seeing all people as people that God loves, not people that are our projects. Whatever it is in life that you deal with that goes contrary to the word of God, hear me, you are not that thing, that person. You are not identified by that thing. You are a person that God loves made in his image. And as he draws you to himself, desires to change a few things. 
And we should all understand that. A quote that I heard, and I don't remember who said it, so I ain't give nobody credit. All right, so it says, when we give people labels, we oftentimes subconsciously give ourselves permission not to love them. When we give people labels, we oftentimes subconsciously give ourselves permission not to love them. We need to be careful how we identify people. In orientation, so like, well, they're gay. Well, they're very promiscuous. Well, you know, it's like, man, have you talked to so-and-so lately? Well, they're getting high all the time, so. Well, they're, it's like, well, what if we got away from the idea of orientation? What if we got away from the idea of placing labels on people? But not just when it comes to orientation. What about when it comes to things that aren't clearly defined? What about when it comes to race and politics? Well, you know, they're a Democrat, so what are you going to do? You know, they're a right-winger, so what are you going to do? You know who they voted for. We laugh, but how many times have we given ourselves not to love someone because they fall into a camp like they or them? How many times have we unconsciously used terms like they or them to describe a group of people we've given ourselves permission not to love? Because that's not what Jesus would call us to do as the church, as Christians. He would call us to love our neighbor, right? So, matter of fact, I even put it in my sermon. After titling the sermon, I couldn't take it back. So I had to add this part in. I said, what if instead of saying, loving my blank neighbor, we just started saying, loving my neighbor? Like, what if we took every label out of the way so that we stopped giving ourselves permission not to love someone? What if we took all the labels out of the way and we just started loving our neighbor? And then the second thing that needs to happen quickly is we also need to, when you look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, right? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? We need to understand what unrighteous means. Because here's how we've read that verse in church for a long time. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And just so we're clear, let's talk about who the unrighteous are. Autologers, drunkards, sexually promiscuous. Those, like that's, that's the way we've read that text. Am I right or am I wrong? So here are all, here's the list of criteria for the people that fall into this category. Am I right or am I wrong? That's how many times we've read it in the church, but that's not how it's written. Paul identifies the unrighteous as those who do not yet belong to God. And because they don't belong to God, here are some things that they may do. So just to help you out for a second, we don't need to convince them to get better so that God can love them. We need to bring them to the God that loves them so that he can help them get all the things in their life that need to get together together. So it's not that they are unrighteous because they do these things. It's that they are unrighteous. They don't belong to Jesus yet. And because they don't belong to Jesus yet, they may do these things. And here's a whole other list over here. They may also be bitter, unforgiving, angry, talk about the people in the row behind them, not worship freely because they knew what they were doing last weekend, and not give God all of themselves, including their money. So the unrighteous being the ones who Jesus' payment on the cross has not yet been applied to. That's the unrighteous. It is not merely this list of people that is explained in 1 Corinthians 6. So we have to understand that when we're looking at our neighbors, it's not, do they fall into one of these categories? And if they do, we need to get them out of that category. It's, do they belong to Jesus? And if they don't, let me love them until they do. That's the ask on our life. But how many times have we gotten that wrong? 
And so that's what he's bringing us to. Listen, we are to love those being drawn to God as a person, not a project, with patience and prayer. With patience and prayer. You want to know what can change them more than you? God. So we should spend more time praying for them rather than in many Christian circles. And I know a lot of you don't fall into this category, but we should be praying for them more than we're berating them. We should pray for them more than we try to beat them up about whatever it is in their life because none of us would love to have every second of our thoughts put on the screen behind us to play, would we? (laughs) Like, how terrifying would that be? If everything you actually thought was broadcasted to the world, I'd be like, "Mm, you know what? I'm going to go hide in my room for now. Like that's where many of us would fall. So we are to love those. Listen, the person's completed work in Christ is not riding on your ability to progress them. And then number three, even when God has made all of us a new creation. Say new creation. Even when God has made all of us a new creation, even when God has gone on his way to make all of us brand new through his spirit, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, old is gone, it's passed away. Old is gone, it's passed away, new has come, right? We still have some things we're dealing with. Can I get an amen on that? Like if there is one person in this church that is still not quite clear about the fact that they are in a very safe space because we don't have it all together, can we get one more amen to let the, everyone in the church know, I ain't got it all figured out yet. Like, I ain't got it all figured out yet. Raise your hand. I ain't, look at your neighbor and say, I ain't got it all figured out yet. Right? Okay. So what do we do? We still have some of those things that we're dealing with. And I, I want to speak very directly to a specific community for just a second. We have talked about it a number of times, but I, I, one more time I want to do this. If you are here today or if you're watching online and you are in that camp, the same-sex attraction, if you are someone that God is pressing upon your heart about that as you're navigating your own personal life, I want to I kind of give you some encouragement, some biblical hope for a second. Because I believe Christians have preached the wrong message to you for a while, and I'm not saying I always got the right one, but I think God got it right on this one. The biblical hope that I have for you is for you to understand you may never be straight. God's ultimate desire for you is not heterosexuality. And if God has called you both to himself, right? Say to to himself. If he's called you to himself, but you also have a desire for a relationship, I want to help you out with something real quick, okay? God may never give you a desire for the opposite sex. But God can give you a desire for a person of the opposite sex. You may never become straight in nature. But God can give you the desire for a person that is that. How do you know that's true, Brad? I don't think, I don't think he could do that. How do, you, how, do you, how do you know that that? How do you know that God could do a change in me like that? Because he did a change in all of us like that. You see, the Bible says that in our nature, we were hostile towards God. We wanted nothing to do with God. None of us came looking for God. We loved our sin. Come on. Like, okay, seven of us. 
We loved our sin. Come on. Like how many, the Bible says it's fun for a season. Some of us had an extended season. You know what I'm talking? Like some of us are like, I enjoyed that actually, but I just love God more now. So my encouragement to you to understand is we were hostile towards God, but one day something changed. Like one day it wasn't, it was, I don't, it's not that I don't want this anymore. Matter of fact, I still kind of deal with this, but I want him more. Like more than I want the drugs or the alcohol, more than I want sexual promiscuity, more than I want to be angry at the person that did me wrong, more than I want to be unforgiving because I know that person did me dirty, more than I want any of those things, God, I want you more. I want your grace more. I want to love you more. I, I, I want all of you more. That, and that's why Colossians 3 says, put your minds on things that are above, not the things that are below. It's not that the things that are below go away. It's that now you've got an affection that's deeper. But you're saying, God, I want you more than I want these things. And hear me, friends, that may, I may be talking to you right now. Just know that God's desire to help you understand that he may never shift all of your delight. But if you feel that God is calling, that is going to call you to a relationship, he can give you a delight for a person. And church family, please hear me. (laughs) If God has a desire to shift all of their nature, so be it. But we gotta stop looking for them to be straight, for our brothers and sisters in Christ to be straight. That is not the goal is that they would love Jesus more than anything. Because guess what the goal is for us? That we would love Jesus more than anything. The goal is not to convince people to stop doing what they're doing, it's to convince them through the power of the Spirit of God that He is the ultimate delight. He is what we want more than anything. John 13, 35 by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you convince people to stop sinning. Is that what it says? If you would, if you would help them not do the things that are bad. Is that what it says? If you would love one another. My neighbor. Just love my neighbor. So what do we do? We love the one that is saved by God as a brother or sister in Christ as they navigate the same grace and truth as you. And some people would say, Brad, you you shouldn't tell people how they should live their life. You shouldn't tell people how that God wants to change them. You shouldn't tell them that changing is necessary. Well, I don't know if that's quite the truth. If, if you were a friend of mine, collectively, Tommy is in here, my brother. Everybody loves Tommy. Everybody just loves Tommy. Yeah, if you don't know who he is, he's the Asian kid with the big smile. All right? So, like, literally my brother. So, whatever. But everyone loves Tommy. If Tommy were like, man, I can't wait to go to New Orleans. So, I'm, I'm getting in my car. I'm going there. And he pulled out his MapQuest. How y'all remember MapQuest? Because he didn't pay his cell phone bill and he's got to use MapQuest. Okay, so he pulls out, pulls out his directions and it's got him going to Gainesville. If we love Tommy, we would be like, hey, good luck out there, bro. 
By the way, those are in different directions. Some of y'all are like, I don't understand this analogy at all. I don't know what's going on. Gainesville is east, New Orleans is west. If we loved him, would we go, hey man, good luck out there. Or if we loved him, would we go, hey man, I know that you already printed out them directions and you're pretty invested in the direction you're going. But if you want to get where you're going, you're actually going to have to, you have to go this way. Which one is love? Even confronting people sometimes, we can do it in love. To say, hey, brother, sister, whatever it is you're struggling with, not just those that are same sex, just whatever, whatever it is that you're dealing with in your life that's contrary to the word of God. I know you're invested in the direction you're going, but if you want to get to meet God one day, this is the direction you're going to, this is the direction you're going to want to go. And so that's what we do. And that's exactly what John did in, uh, Jesus did in John 8 as we wrap up. Jesus straightened up. So, but just so you know, the Pharisees, the religious crowd, brings a woman before Jesus. Say, we caught her in adultery. The law says to stone her. Not like recreationally either. Like, okay, so, so we're clear. So we're clear. Law says to kill her. And Jesus says, oh boy. Because technically, they're right. The law does say that, but Jesus came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He says, okay, um, here's what we're going to do. That's fine. As long as whoever is without sin casts the first stone. And one by one, rocks started dropping. And he wrote something in the sand. I believe that he started writing the names of all the people they were sleeping with. That's just how I feel about it. I mean, Jessica. Yeah, Patricia. <laughs> it was like, you know what? I'm not, I ain't got time for this. I ain't got time. I got to go to the temple. I'm out. All right, so. But then this is what Jesus said. He looks at her and says this. You ready? Jesus straightened up and asked her in John 8, 10 through 11. So then John looks at the woman. Woman, where are they? Your accusers. Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. So the only one that could didn't. But then this is what he says, you ready? So neither do I condemn you. That's the gracious love of Jesus Christ. How many are glad he looked at you and said, neither do I condemn you, right? But then he looked at, he looked at it and goes, now go and leave your life of sin. He gave her truth. And as a church, what we need is a great marriage of grace for our neighbors and truth that as they come to Jesus, we introduce them to a reality that says, this is the direction we go. Not in our behavior, but in our delight. Jesus, you're the greatest thing I've ever had. And I'd rather have you than anything else. So lastly, our life is the actual representation of the gospel we present to them. Let's love our neighbors well in Jesus name let's pray guys Father we thank you for today we thank you for what you're doing in our lives and through our lives God I pray that you would help us love our neighbors well not our democratic or republican neighbor or black or white or Hispanic or Asian neighbor not our neighbor that's dealing with this or doing that but just our neighbors just just our just our brothers and sisters that are in Christ those that are being wooed and drawn to Christ and those that have yet to meet Christ all image bearers of God 
that we would love them well, God. Encourage our hearts today. We love you. And we look to you to help us with everything. That we would become ambassadors, representatives of the gospel in Jesus' name. We thank you for it. God, challenge each one of our hearts to love people well. In Jesus' name, if you're here today with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and you need Jesus in your life, you need forgiveness, you need grace, I wanna pray for you right now. I wanna invite you to repeat this prayer after me. This prayer doesn't make you saved. This prayer is a confession with words that God is doing something in your heart and you're ready to give him your life. You're believing that he died on the cross for you and for your sins to give you a fresh start. So pray with this prayer with me. Everyone's gonna pray with you. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me my sins. Forgive me my wrongs. Make me whole. I believe you died for me. I believe you paid for my sins. So I give you my life. Make me brand new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. TC, let's give it up for all those that prayed that today. Man, we celebrate with you. Come on, come on, come on.
in your job, and in your community. Because your world needs you. My prayer tonight is that you would hear my heart. My goal is not, hasn't, it's not to beat you up. My goal is that I would bring to you what God is bringing to us, myself included, which is that we would reframe some things because God's getting ready, I truly believe it, to blow the doors off this place. Like I truly believe, I don't know if y'all were in service today, but I was like, who are all these people? Like, well, who are y'all? I don't even know where, first of all, where you been? Second of all, who are you? Like, but I believe God's getting ready to do some things, but hear me, God didn't send unhealthy people. God didn't send healthy people to unhealthy environments. God's not looking to send broken people to a church full of broken people. We need some whole people. If he's going to send us people with broken marriages, we got to have some whole marriages to walk them through it. If he's going to send us people with broken kids, we got to have some homes full of whole kids and whole families to help walk them through it. So, so we need this. And so I want to encourage you with this last word. And then... We're going to give you some time to pray with either by yourself or with your family, actually. We've carved that out, and I ask that you take advantage of it. Please don't leave. I'm aware that some of you tonight is going to be like, oh, that was dope, thanks, and nothing's going to change. That, for some of you, that may be the case. But for some of you, today is a turning point where something's going to shift. Friends, we know how this ends. Like, we know how this ends. We've read the last book of the Bible, the one that's yet to happen. Like, we know how this ends. We win. Like, the church wins. Like, look at your neighbor and say, we win. Like, thank God, good news. Some of you are like, oh, thank you. Okay, so, like, we win. Like, we win. God wins, and we're on his team, so we win. Like, I have no doubt about what happens at the end of this. Listen, the church wins. Are you guys excited about that? So, like, the church wins. And so, man, I'm so excited because at the end of this, the church wins. What I am a little bit worried about is I'm not sure how many of us are going to be in it when it happens. It's time that we be the church God has called us to be. We don't go to church. We are the church. And I pray that tonight is an opportunity for that to shift for you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the next probably eight to 10 minutes and our boys are going to dim the lights just a little bit. Husbands, I want you to pray for your wives right now because if you won't do it right now, you won't do it tomorrow. If you have your kids with you, I want you to get your kids around with you and I want you to pray with your kids right now because if you won't do it today, you won't do it tomorrow. If you're single here and you're like, dope. I want, <laughs> I didn't know we were going to get into that. Uh, I want you to have your moment with God about, he's convicted you of something right now. Like through this talk, he's put something on your heart like, oh yeah, that's me. Now's your moment to get with God and say, all right, we're going to change some things. I beg you, let's take the next eight to 10 minutes 
and let's have a time with the Lord. If you're a parent here and you believe that your kid could be in this environment and be okay, I'm 100% okay with you going to get them and bringing them in here and praying with them in here. Okay, so just so you know that. Um, so if you want to go get your kids um, and bring them in here and pray with them, I, I would, it would bring me great joy, actually, to see that. So go ahead. Um, we'll run it for the next eight to ten minutes. I want you to touch heaven tonight so that we can see some things change in all of us, myself included. All right, guys, we'll get back together in just a few minutes.